in the months leading up to the 2016 election, the mainstream media and the Democrats told you that Donald Trump, along with members of his campaign team and even his children, were colluding with Cold War foe Russia. But of course, that was all a lie, a lie that some journalists are still desperately trying to peddle to remain relevant and secure an invite to those liberal elite parties. Three days before the Russia hoax was initiated, then-President Barack Obama was briefed by his CIA director, John Brennan, on an intelligence report that Hillary Clinton planned to tie then-candidate Trump to Russia as, quote, a means of distracting the public from her use of a private email server. Right before the 2016 election, Hillary Clinton tweeted, quote, computer scientists have apparently uncovered a covert server linking the Trump organisation... <laughs> to a Russia-based bank, end quote. Another goon who pushed the Russia bank lie was Hillary Clinton's senior policy advisor, Jake Sullivan. Jake Sullivan was dumb enough and arrogant enough to release an official press release statement saying, quote, computer scientists have apparently uncovered a covert server linking the Trump organisation to a Russian-based bank. This secret hotline may be the key to unlocking the mystery of Trump's ties to Russia. The line of communication may help explain Trump's bizarre adoration of Vladimir Putin. And quote, by the way, Jake Sullivan is now the national security advisor to Joe Biden, just so you know. So why am I reporting this? Well, the seeds of the biggest lie in modern political history were sown at a London wine bar on May 10, 2016. When former foreign policy advisor to Donald Trump's 2016 presidential campaign, George Papadopoulos, was lured to a meeting with Alexander Downer, who at the time was Australia's High Commissioner to the UK. Mr Papadopoulos tells the story of that encounter in his book, Deep State Target, how I got caught in the crosshairs of the plot to bring down President Trump. And he joins me now. George, thanks for coming on the program. Thanks a lot for having me. Just before we get into the latest developments of the Durham report, I want to take it back a step a bit because a lot of Australians aren't actually familiar with this because our media doesn't report on anything positive about Trump still. Tell me about the first impression you had of Alexander Downer in that meeting. Yeah, it's, uh, I'm glad uh, you're covering this story because I think as the Durham, Durham probe in the United States continues to heat up, we're going to finally understand not only the bizarre meeting that I'm going to describe uh, during your show I had with Alexander Downer, but also the month that preceded this meeting, which I think is almost or probably even more crucial uh, than the actual meeting itself, uh, based on what we know now regarding uh, infamous characters like Joseph Mifsud, Alexander Downer, Stefan Halper, and some of these other uh, seemingly unsavory um, actors who were either running into members of the Trump campaign or trying to set up meetings or record meetings uh, at the behest of, some, of a of we don't know who yet. And uh, you did mention that Hillary Clinton uh, was in uh, dire need to distract from her own email investigation. And of course, President Obama was in the Oval Office at the time and he had a keen interest in assuring that Clinton would continue his third term and no one wanted Donald Trump to actually win. So 
I just want to put into context what was happening mm-hmm. at before I met Alexander Downer. And when I met Alexander Downer, this is somebody who invited me to meet with him uh, at a wine bar in Kensington, uh, not far from uh, where I used to live when I was uh, based in London during my first uh, two months on the Trump campaign. And essentially, it came shortly after a uh, infamous interview I gave to the Times of London, in which uh, David Cameron, who was then the prime minister at the time, would castigate Donald Trump and call him a danger to society, somebody who should be nowhere near the Oval Office. And uh, I, as one of his uh, uh, advisors at the time, told the Times of London that he should apologize and retract his comments. And that's what I think uh, in many ways, uh, spurred this meeting with Alexander Downer, because as soon as I sat down with Alexander Downer, he began to talk about this interview. He began to uh, tell me that I should not talk about David Cameron. Donald Trump should not talk about David Cameron. So the entire meeting started off in a very bizarre fashion. We weren't there to talk about U.S.-Australia relations. We were there to talk about various British interests, my work in Cyprus, my work in Israel and the energy industry, And it seemed that he was there to probe me about my background, what I was involved with. And um, he mentioned uh, that he was part of uh, this private organization named Halakit, that I was not familiar with at the time, which uh, after a lot of research, we now know was some sort of a private intelligence organization linked to various uh, corporations and even the Clintons themselves. So at the time, he was the high commissioner to the UK for Australia. He was involved with, potentially involved with dealings that were not in the interests of that role, or at least in the purview of that role. Is that a fair thing to say? I remember this meeting in vivid detail. Whoever, wherever this disinformation came that we were both drunk or uh, spouting off nonsense, uh, like the New York Times reported, that was uh, intentionally designed in order to uh, basically um, run cover for what I believe the real intent of this meeting was. I do not believe that Alexander Downer was meeting with me in this capacity as High Commissioner of Australia in the UK. Uh, as I explained, uh, there was nothing that had to do at this meeting with the US-Australia uh, relationship. Mm. In fact, uh, after a lot of research into uh, Alexander Downer, uh, it seemed that he was very connected to Bill and Hillary Clinton and even to an Australian energy company named Woodside, which was actually competing at the time with the energy company that I would work for named Noble Energy in Cyprus and Israel. So that is what I believe um, spurred his interest in what my consulting work in that part of the world was all about and uh, why he wanted to meet with me and why I believe he had an interest to um, help uh, launch this uh, fake investigation into myself and others on the Trump campaign. You say in the book that it turned out that as Australia's foreign minister, he engineered one of the biggest donations to the Clinton Foundation. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, these are these are not conspiracy theories. These are facts. Uh, as uh, And that's I'm a very fact-oriented person because uh, this is a very complicated story. And there have been many analysts out there who just simply cannot grasp what happened, how many players are involved, and what their motivations might or might not have been. And Downer not only was a personal friend of Bill and Hillary Clinton, but while he was foreign minister of Australia, he earmarked 
$25 million of Australian taxpayer money to the Clinton Foundation. This was unprecedented and unheard of, ostensibly for HIV and AIDS research. I'm not uh, quite sure why the Australian foreign minister would be in charge of uh, donating this large sum amount of taxpayer money of Australia to the Clinton Foundation. And later, shortly thereafter, after he's appointed as high commissioner to the UK, he's uh, running uh, interference in the 2016 campaign election. He's uh, meeting with the US embassy in London, Rogue, because there was a report that came out from uh, Australia that suggested that the Australian government had no idea that he was meeting with me or that he was actually then transmitting some sort of information from this meeting to the, U the US embassy in London. And that's why I believe the Australian government has uh, distanced themselves from whatever Alexander Downer has done. And I believe uh, what we will eventually see coming out of the Durham investigation or the results of Alexander Downer is that he was rogue. He acted off for, on his own interests and that is why the Australian government uh, eventually distanced themselves from him and uh, will likely see that he was putting his own interests before the Australian government's interests. I just want to quote again from that particular uh, passage in your book where you say, quote, that Downer said nothing. Instead, he takes his phone out, holds it straight up as if filming me, but he doesn't really look at the phone. A few seconds later... He repeats the move again. This sounds like the behaviour of someone who was clearly recording or at least attempting to. Is that essentially what you're getting at there in that passage? That's exactly uh, what I'm getting at. And uh, not only uh, do I stand by what I wrote in my book regarding what I saw Alexander Downer doing numerous times, I actually testified to the United States Congress under oath about the exact same thing under penalty of perjury, which, as you can understand, uh, based on this uh, lying charge that has become very popular in the United States, you can, uh, you know, get in deep trouble if you lie under oath to a federal uh, government. So uh, at the time that I sat down and I saw Alexander Downer pulling his phone out every time he would ask me questions regarding any topic you could imagine, whether it was from David Cameron to Cyprus, to his work as uh, the UN special representative to Cyprus or China or uh, you know, Hillary Clinton, his phone would come out. And it was quite intimidating to be quite uh, frank with you. Uh, you're, I'm sitting there as an American citizen, as a representative of a presidential campaign with a US ally. I was not there sitting with Iran mm -hmm. or Pakistan or Sudan. And I felt a very hostile environment uh, in a very uh, unseemingly uh, destination, which was the Kensington Wine Rooms. And I felt immediately that he was recording me for what reason at the time, of course, I could not possibly fathom. But we, we shortly understood afterwards, based on reporting, that whatever he was recording or trying to record or to uh, present the way he did, went immediately to the US Embassy in London, in which he transmitted this information to uh, the DCM, which was a number two at the US Embassy in London, unbeknownst to the Australian government at the time. So this is something that we don't know what he was trying to record, what he actually transmitted to the US Embassy in London the day after. We do know that John Durham has interviewed Alexander Downer, and he has interviewed the woman 
who was uh, introducing me or brokering this meeting with Alexander Downer. I, I can't remember her, her name at, the, uh, at this point. Erica, Erica Thompson, who is now the, um, a diplomat in Colombia, I believe. Yes, Erica Thompson. And, and one point I wanna make about how this meeting was brokered. Erica Thompson was introduced to me by an official at the Israeli embassy who then met with myself and Erica Thompson. Erica Thompson was very hostile towards Donald Trump, his campaign, uh, this uh, America First movement uh, that Donald Trump had uh, propagated or espoused throughout the entire campaign. And shortly after um, I met with her twice, she decided to meet with me again a third time in a matter of two weeks, this time with Alexander Downer. So just think about what I'm saying here. An Australian embassy official, a very high level embassy official, met with a foreign campaign representative three times in a matter of two weeks. That doesn't happen. It just doesn't make sense. Um, and it's something that I think bears scrutiny. And there's a reason that um, John Durham decided to interview both of them very shortly after he was appointed into his mm -hmm. investigation, I believe in October of 2019. I think that some serious questions need to be asked uh, on our side of the shore now uh, about the possibility here, the strong possibility of uh, election uh, interference by an, an ally in Alexander Downer and Erica Thompson. Look, the, there's something called the Five Eyes Intelligence Agreement in which the United States government, they would like to circumvent the constitution and the privacy rights of American citizens. Essentially what it does is it outsources its dirty work or its surveillance work to members of the Five Eyes Alliance. But those countries include the United States, New Zealand, Canada, and the United Kingdom and Australia. Mm. I, as a member of the Trump campaign, was invited not only to meet the highest level members of the Australian government, including Alexander Downer, but I was meeting with the top echelons of the British government at the time to the, to the extent that the British government, after Donald Trump was elected as president, they sent me Theresa May's letter of congratulations to send to then President-elect Trump. So this, um, this uh, interesting scenario in which the British and the Australian governments, and later uh, I, I learned that members of the Canadian government were trying to get a hold of me after uh, Donald Trump uh, sent it to the Oval Office, I think was extremely bizarre. And it, it, doesn't, it doesn't make sense unless these governments were instructed to meet with myself and other members of this campaign in order to spy on us for the Obama administration so that the Obama administration can use the plausible deniability excuse that they were not directly involved, but it was just the US allies uh, watching these uh, so-called shady figures in the Trump campaign. And what happened at the end is Donald Trump was elected and now the British government and the Australian government are, in, are basically in the, um, in the crosshairs of the Durham investigation. So um, we're, we're going to finally uh, probably understand uh, how far up these instructions went. And one last point I'll make, um, based on how the Biden administration has been treating its allies over the last month, mm -hmm. including in Afghanistan, I thought it was uh, an interesting revelation that British generals have been going on Fox News and condemning 
Joe Biden and uh, calling for his court-martialing. This is something that I don't think has happened in modern history. And it could possibly be linked into what happened in 2016. I'm not sure, but um, it's, it's quite interesting to see how U.S. allies are reacting to this. I want to ask you, George, and this is your opinion. Do you think that this deep state that we now are starting to get far more familiar with, uh, it's not just a conspiracy theory, do you think this operates in Australia too? Look, you're talking to a, man, a guy, myself, who came from the most establishment type background you could possibly imagine, uh, working in DC for five years at the Hudson Institute, which was a, it is a very prominent neoconservative think tank. My colleagues at the time were the architects of the Iraq war, the Afghanistan war, and held high level positions with the Bush administration and then the Reagan administration. So you can understand um, somebody like that then leaving that position to join two at the time renegade presidential campaigns, first with Ben Carson and Donald Trump. I could not possibly fathom that the word deep state existed, let alone was a uh, real um, issue that permeates uh, society in the United States and uh, possibly abroad. So if you had asked me this question five years ago, I would have laughed at during this podcast uh, interview, but if you ask me now, unfortunately, I witnessed it, I lived this situation, and um, an entire U.S. president was um, uh, basically handcuffed from governing properly because of this deep state. Uh, I could just tell you in Australia, based on what I'm watching, I'm not an Australian citizen, but I just uh, am horrified by the uh, so-called prison-like environment that Australian citizens are living by. It's, uh, it's uh, actually being transmitted throughout the world that uh, Australia started off as a prison colony and now has remained uh, an open air prison facility. Uh, the way the, the government apparatus is uh, usurping the rights of citizens and basically jailing them and, uh, and uh, keeping them under house arrest uh, for these very small cases of COVID. So whatever you want to call that in uh, Australia, I think it's, um, it's shameful. And uh, I'm glad to see that the Australian people are uh, fighting for their rights there properly. We've seen the rise, and I'll, I'll let you go after this, but this UN smart cities and these safe cities, a lot of it's being, a lot of the um, complete police misconduct and brutality uh, is being done underneath these umbrellas. And that's very scary because the Australian people have never been uh, privy to that sort of information. These deals get done without the public. I think that's exactly why uh, Donald Trump was so uh, pro-sovereignty, because he did understand this top-down governance approach from the bodies like the UN or these multilateral institutions do not have the interests of the private citizen at hand. They have the interests of the multilateral or the supranational entity at uh, heart. And uh, that's exactly why I do think you are seeing these type of bodies running these programs and uh, usurping the rights of uh, citizens in various countries. And uh, we'll see uh, what happens moving forward. If uh, the, the citizens in Australia decide that they've had enough, if they decide to take a more hardline approach and voting in a more hardline right government in Australia, seemingly the way the British citizens did during Brexit, something that also Donald Trump was a hardcore advocate for, that's yet to be seen. But I do think based on the various videos and the international media outrage 
that uh, is being um, projected out of uh, Australia, I think that's probably a likely scenario. Agreed. And there's a big appetite here for the return of, of, of Trump and many reasons for that. And you are a part of that at the beginning. And unfortunately, that was cut short. Uh, but we will get some answers on that upcoming. George Papadopoulos is the author of Deep State Target, How I Got Caught in the Crosshairs to Bring Down President Trump. That book is available online and at bookstores now. It's a fascinating read and I encourage that you get that book. George, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you.